Romans chapter 8 and John 15. Are you guys right there in Romans chapter 8? Let's start out uh, as we do sometimes. I'm going to have you guys read a word, okay? Whenever I pause, you read the word in. Ready? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Skip down to verse 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who, ha- who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. I think, I, I can't remember, it's, it's, it's a bunch of times, maybe ten times, something like that, that word in this text. How many of y'all were here on Sunday, this last Sunday? In chapter 7, at the end of chapter 7, the title of the message is, was Paul's Eye Problem. Paul had the same problem that you and I have so often, where I try to be good. I try to do it in my strength, by myself. Trying to be good, trying to be more holy, trying to become sanctified by working hard. I can do it if just I work harder. You remember where it ended? Look at verse 24. It ended in misery. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Finally, he quit asking the wrong question, which is, how do I do this? How, what is it going to take for me to do this? What is wrong with me? Those were all the questions he was asking. And he finally asked the right question. Who? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Jesus. Well, tonight then, Paul has moved past his I problem, and he's moved on to the in solution. I've got three uh, points for you as an outline tonight. First one, in Christ There's no punishment from God. Second, in the flesh though, there's no pleasing God. And finally, in the spirit, there is power from God. Or if you you insist on having the no theme, there's no powerlessness in God. Okay? All right. Here's what I want you to do. Turn, Turn to John 15. Before we get into the text, I want to remind you of a... Jesus' words here. John 15, verse 1 says, Jesus speaking. This is the night before he was betrayed, right? John 15, 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now look at verse 4. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. As you look through this, these next few uh, verses, there's a lot of times when he says the word in just like Paul. But there's also a lot of times that he says this word, abide. Any, any of you remember when we went back, when we were going through the book of John, how we defined, how we kind of put a handle on this word, abide? Anyone? Yes? A couple of you? Okay. It means literally to settle down into or to sink into. 
the way that we described it was, think of the world's most plush, comfortable, lazy boy. To sink down into, to rest, rest all your weight upon, to basically become one with that chair. Some of you wives, just think of your husbands, okay? To rest all of your weight on it, to become one with that chair. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branch. Now your only job is to settle in, to put all of your weight on me. Another way we described it is staying in the sweet spot. Staying right there in, in the, the best, uh, sweetest spot in relation to Jesus. Become one with me, Jesus says, so that what I want to do in your home, in your job, in your church, what I want to do in your daily routine, the things I want to say, the things that I don't want you to say, all of that I can do through you. Abide. Settle in. Okay? So, I'll let you guys do this again. You guys read the word abide this time in John 15. We're going to begin in verse 4. And Jesus says, I am the vine, the source of all sweetness, of all life. Any fruit of the Spirit is going to come through me. That's what he's saying. Now, I'll say the first one with you. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me settles in, sinks in, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. How many times have we heard Paul basically say that over and over again in chapter 6, 7, and 8? The same message. Look, I can't do it. I cannot do it without him. Uh, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and you will if you just abide in me is what he's saying so you will be my disciples verse 9 as the father loved me i also have loved you abide in my love if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love then he summarizes, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain, what? In you, and that your joy may be full. It's like ten times in, in eight verses, I think it is, uh, Jesus says over and over again, abide in me, settle in, sink down into a relationship with me. Jesus says, think of me as the lazy boy, and you're the lazy boy. <laughs> you're the lazy girl. Sink in. I'm the vine, you're the branch. Without reliance upon me, you will wither. I just kind of want to make sure that that's said as we look again at Romans chapter 8. Turn, turn back there with me. To me, that's really been the message over and over again in Romans 6, 7, and 8. Paul is speaking to Christians. He's not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to everyone in this room who... You're in this spot. I know I'm justified. I know that legally I'm just as if I'd never sinned. But man, I want to make more progress in being sanctified. I want to be more and more like Jesus. When you boil it down, the message of Romans 6 through 8 is probably put this way. How's this? The success or failure we find in this area of sanctification 
results from where we abide, where we settle into, where we sink down into. Matter of fact, just if you if you remember Romans chapter six, basically Paul said this in a sentence. It's this. Look, if you're a Christian and you're still abiding in sin, the end of that is death. Romans chapter 7. If you're a Christian and you're still abiding, that is trusting in the law, guess what? The end of that is death. Because sin takes the law and beats you over the head with it. Then he gets to the end of chapter 7 that we saw on Sunday. If you're a Christian and you're still abiding in, relying upon, sinking into, trusting only yourself, guess what? The end is death. Every single time, the end is death. And we saw on Sunday, it's a particularly, that last one, trusting in yourself, particularly frustrating death. It's the kind of thing that leaves you crying out, oh my God, what a miserable wretch, who will rescue me? Okay, now in chapter 8, having shown us that all other strategies relying upon, you know, abiding in sin, relying upon uh, self or the law, all of these other strategies end in death. Now look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. That's a death sentence. There's no death sentence to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no death for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word condemnation is catechrema. It means damnatory sentence. It's just what you think it is. It's a death sentence. Paul starts chapter 8 with, when you think about it, especially after you've been through chapter 7, a huge encouragement for any and every Christian. When we come to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, no matter if you are a backslider or a prodigal or a legalist or the, the hard worker, the guy who has tried and tried to be good and keeps coming up short, there is good news here for you in chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It occurred to me, we have a uh, larger crowd than maybe we would normally expect on a Thursday Maybe this very first phrase, chapter 8, verse 1, is why Jesus brought you here tonight. To tell you, to remind you, there is no death sentence for you any longer. If you are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation, there's no death sentence. And here's why, verse 2. For the law, that is the principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, has made me free from the law, that is the principle of sin and death. Paul's talking about laws here, but think, to help you understand it, think mathematical, quantum physics kind of laws, right? Uh, the, the law of sin and death, for instance, is like the law of gravity. The law of sin and death kept me crashing down to earth. Has anyone else been there? You're trying to fly, but the law of sin and death keeps you crashing down to earth. I tried everything I possibly could do. Okay, uh, more thrust. Okay, more speed. More effort. But I'm still just a brick that's going faster. The only thing that happened was that my crashes became more spectacular. People watching could laugh a little bit more. 
Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I see this like the Wright brothers when they finally figured it out. Wait, the laws of aerodynamics can overcome the law of gravity. Paul says, look, I found a new law that overcomes this law of sin and death. Maybe for you tonight, this is why God brought you here. You don't have to keep crashing and burning. You don't have to. You get to Romans chapter 3 and 321 and it's awesome because I'm justified. But if you just stay there, you become frustrated. And then some, some perhaps have given up. I guess this is the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to crash and burn. This law of gravity is always going to take over. There's a new law that can overcome your gravitation towards sin. Verse 3. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh... That is, keeping the rules, working harder. I, all those things just made my crashes more spectacular. Verse 3 again. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. We've seen this as well. The, the law tells me, look, I'm not righteous. The law is very good at pointing out to me where I blow it. But the law doesn't give me any power to actually do the right thing. Talk about frustrating. Yes, okay, I get it. I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I have no power to make it right. But this says that God rescued me, and hopefully you, hopefully I'm speaking your story, by sending His Son. And look, it says that His Son was made out of the same flesh as me. He, he was made of skin and bones, just like me. Jesus never sinned. But he came in skin just like mine so that he could die in my place. And when that happened, end of verse 3, God says that he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. This comes back again to, look, God did it all. He made the switch. Jesus gets my sin placed upon him and I get his righteousness placed in me. Look at verse 4 again. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Does it say by us? No, it says in us. Most of you have heard this, but it's worth repeating. And if you haven't been here, this hopefully can help you. The righteousness of God is not a condition you can achieve. It's a commodity you must receive. It all comes down to this. In Christ, Paul says, there is no punishment from God. Why? Because he's already condemned sin in your place. And he did it in flesh on the cross. His son bore the brunt of your and my sin. Um, maybe this will help. Even in America, we understand that double jeopardy is not just. You can't try a person and, and punish them twice for the exact same crime, right? What this says is if you are in Christ... God judged your sin on that cross so that there's no punishment left for you. Now, let me be clear. You may have consequences for your sin, right? Just because you're completely forgiven by God doesn't mean that your liver necessarily is going to go right back to uh, completely clean, right? There may be consequences and there may even be discipline from a loving father. But you understand the difference between punishment 
and discipline. Discipline is to help you along. Punishment is just to punish you. There remains no punishment, it says, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it's amazing, and I, I think maybe that's why... Does it feel like Paul's just repeating himself a lot? Or is it just me? Maybe I'm repeating myself. It seems to me like he, he just want, he wants to beat this into us. And I think it's because we're so slow to really get it or to believe Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I think sometimes we hear this verse like this. There is now therefore less condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And some of us have maybe even been taught that verse 1 is contingent upon our walk, upon our behavior. Look at verse 1. Some of you have it. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I've actually heard people teach that, look, Romans chapter 8 verse 1 only applies to you if you walk in the Spirit. Like, so the, the first part of chapter of verse 1 is dependent upon whether or not I fulfill the second part of verse 1. In other words, some people teach this verse this way. If you walk according to the Spirit, there's no condemnation. But if you don't, I don't know. Well, it might interest you to know that most scholars believe that these, these, this last phrase wasn't even in this original manuscript in verse 1. But it is in verse 4. You'll see it. Like maybe some scribe went, you know what? I'm going to help the Holy Spirit here. I'm going to put this verse up here and it will help people to under, understand. We don't know exactly how it happened, but um, here's the way that I think it should read. A- according to uh, the, the earliest manuscripts, that chapter uh, verse 1 should end after the word Jesus and, and verse 2 begins. And then that phrase comes at the end of verse 4. If so, then this is... This totally makes sense with the way Paul has been writing. Paul starts with the positional, unalterable truth that we have seen so often in Romans, which is, in Jesus justified. Just as if I never said Look at it, verse 1. Let's read it that way. There, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of, spirit, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. God is doing all of this. He condemns sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now that verse come, that phrase comes in. So now instead of walking in the spirit to achieve righteousness, no, verse 4, because we've already received This righteousness, we, it says, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Does that make sense? Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Verse 5, I think Paul is just basically presenting us the choice of where our mind's going to go. The choice is boiled down to this. Look, you set your mind on the flesh and your feet will follow. And the end of that path is always death. Whether it's the death of your marriage or your job or your reputation. Or if you've never given your life to Jesus, the end of that path is eternal death. He says, on the other hand, you set your mind on the spirit and your feet will follow. And at the end of that path, he says, you'll find life and peace. 
So, and first he talks about this first choice. He says, okay, let's say you want to be carnally minded. And we're going to talk about that in a second, but let me pause. Is everybody awake? Got your thinking caps on? Trying? Okay. Look at those words where it says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Um, whenever you see the word flesh or carnal, here's what I think we do. We default to the, we limit the, what, the meaning of that word. We say carnal and flesh, and we only think, okay, adultery, bad, like really overt bad sin. Okay? Remember the context where Paul's going here. He just left saying, I tried to do it myself, I tried to do it myself, and I failed, and I failed, and I failed. It seems to me this word flesh should not just be including the bad stuff that we default to. The flesh is any time I try to do it on my own. Whether my motives I think are good, I'm just helping God out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it this way because this is in my own strength. So yes, a mind that entertains sin, the feet will follow and that will lead to death. But what this is saying is anything you do in your own natural energy. Man's naturally working hard. Let me put it this way. Trusting as a strategy for holiness, because that's what Romans 6, 7, and 8 are about. Anything that is not Christ. Anything that is not spiritual. So again, that would include chapter 6. Abiding in sin, okay? Yes. Chapter 7, though, trusting in the law is also in my flesh. It's something that I think I can do in my flesh. That's the lie that the, the devil tells you. The, the end of chapter 7, trusting in my own hard work, my own self-determination. Paul is basically going here, guys, in these verses. All of that ends in futility. Guaranteed. Anything that depends upon me, myself, or I in my natural state will not end well. Look at it, verse 7. I think it will become clear now. Because the carnal, that is the natural mind, is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. First Paul said, look, in Christ there is no Punishment, But now he says, in my flesh, there's absolutely no pleasing God. Because the old me still does not love God. The old me still is not subject to his law, it says, nor indeed can be. How many of you have been with us when I've talked about Mr. Newman and Mr. Oldman? Okay, uh, on Sunday we saw it as well. The idea is when you become born again, that means you're born twice. You've got two natures that are warring within you, right? Mr. Oldman is the old you that says, you'll still look at that when I tell you to. You'll still drink that when I tell you. You'll still talk that way. You'll still be full of rage when I say jump. That's Mr. Oldman. But Mr. Newman doesn't answer to Mr. Oldman. He, he doesn't need to. He's legally set free. Here's the deal. Mr. Oldman, still, even if you've been a Christian for 30 years, Mr. Oldman is still absolutely no help to you in your search for holiness. Let me put it as really blunt as I know how. The old you hates God just as much as he did before you were saved. The old you is unreformable, incorrigible, 
The old you has a recidivism rate of 100%. You can turn over a new leaf. You can turn over the whole tree. But those, it says, verse 8, who are in the flesh, who are doing it in their own strength, cannot please God. Cannot. It's futile. It's hopeless. It's guaranteed failure. Verse 9. Here's the good news, Christian. But you are not... In the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Paul says, those in the flesh cannot please God. But guess what? You are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. That is, if you're truly born again, the spirit lives in you. He says, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. If if you're telling me that you don't have the spirit in you, then you need to get saved. That's what he's saying. But if you are a born-again believer, if you've given your life to Jesus, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you that moment, that second that you gave your life to Him. Verse 10, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. There's Mr. Oldman and Mr. Newman again. If you've been born again, you've got two natures. The, the old you that was dead, that is dead, killed by sin, right, Mr. Oldman, um, but he, he keeps coming to life. He's corrupt, he's nasty, he's vile. And the new Mr. Newman is alive in the spirit because God has given you Jesus' righteousness. Okay, now, so far, in Jesus we've seen there's no punishment from God. In the flesh, though, there's no pleasing God. Verse 11 says, look, in the spirit, there's no more powerlessness. In the Spirit, there's power from God. Verse 11. For, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, think about that. What kind of power we're talking about here? If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. What was the, the cry we kept hearing from Paul last week as he was having his nervous breakdown? <laughs> He was saying, is it me? It's not me. Why do I sin? Why do I do the things I don't want to do? And he's like, it seems like he's losing it because he's trying to do it in his own strength. What was his, his ultimate cry was basically this. Look, I have the knowledge. Hello, I know the Bible. I know what I'm supposed to do. Look, I even have the will. I so want to, probably more than any of these other people that I know, I want to do right. I have the knowledge. I have the will. It's power that I lack. When it's in my flesh. It says I'm so powerless against sin. How many of you ever. Don't, don't raise your hand maybe. Probably we can all raise our hand. At one point or another you've said. I'm just powerless against this sin. Okay. Paul would say. Well you're right. And you're wrong. You're right. Mr. Oldman. Is absolutely powerless. Against that sin. The old you has no power to do what is right. It's guaranteed failure. But. If you have the Spirit of God within you, it's ridiculous to call yourself powerless. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead? Verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Life, it's living, abundant, active life um, to, to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Bible says that, look, All of your sin, think about this, all of your sin, all of my sin, everybody's sin in in this room, everybody's sin throughout the world, everybody's sin throughout the history of the world was laid upon Jesus, upon the cross, right? 
that mountain that we can't imagine that mountain of sin was not enough to keep him down. The Spirit of God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from under that mountain of sin, if you will, to raise him incorruptible. Paul says, hello, you have that same power, the Holy Spirit, in you. So in one sense, no longer can any Christian claim, I am powerless against sin. If you mean you're old man, you can say that. But you can't. The, the, the overall fact is that you have the Holy Spirit within you. The Spirit is in me and His business, the whole thing that He does is overcoming sin by way of resurrection. That's what He does. He overcomes sin by death and resurrection. Verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Paul says we are in debt. I get an amen. <laughs> um, but he says, listen, we're not in debt to our flesh. Because our flesh guarantees futility. We are in debt to Christ who guarantees our forgiveness. And we're in debt to the Spirit who guarantees its fruitfulness, success, fruitfulness now and a future forever. Okay, so let's review a lot of uh, concepts here tonight. If you invite in sin, what happens? Death. But let's say you, you're really noble and you're trying not to abide in sin. You decide to abide instead in the law. You're going to trust in the law. What happens? Death. Let's say, you know, I really, really want to be good and the law's not working for me exactly, but you know, I'm just going to do the very best I can. I'm going to really hunker down. I'm going to work really strong. I'm going to abide and trust in my self-abilities. What's going to happen? Okay, you are getting this. Good. But if you abide in Christ, life and peace. If you just sink down in, if you settle into the living Christ, you'll find life and peace. Let's review something else. In Christ, there is no punishment. There's no condemnation. There may be discipline. There, there may be uh, consequences from your previous behavior. But there's... No point at which God is mad at you that, that, there, that there's any uh, break between you and He. There's no point where if you're in Christ that you show up to heaven and God goes, Oh, you're here. It doesn't happen. There is no condemnation. Let's review. In the flesh, though, there is no possible way to please God. You can try as hard as you want. You will fail every single time. In the Spirit, though, it's not possible to be powerless against sin. In the Spirit. Okay, uh, preacher, fine. But what does all this mean practically? There's a whole bunch of head thoughts, right? A whole bunch of doctrine, you could say. Well, once again, it really comes back to the battlefield of the mind. Where do you abide? Where does your mind settle down into? Let's look back at a few key verses just by way of um, kind of solidifying this. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life 
and peace. Look at verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's basically, once again, where do you spend your time? Who do you report to duty for? Whom are you focusing upon? Are you focusing on your own sin? Are you focusing on the law? Are you focusing on your own ability to keep or to not keep the law? Or are you focusing on Christ and surrendering yourself to his spirit? Paul had an eye problem in chapter 7. If, if I just work harder, I'll be free from sin. Tonight we saw Paul's in solution. Abiding in Christ and he in me. Me in Christ, Christ's spirit in me. In Christ I find no condemnation. His spirit in me can overcome any temptation. If I just surrender my mind, my feet will follow. Right? How many times does it come back to Galatians once again? If you walk in the spirit, if you report to the spirit, you just show up to the spirit, give him, surrender your body parts, say, here I am, I'm yours. You cannot, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, um, verse, yeah, we're just going to close with verse 13 one last time. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. One last thing. It does not say, but if by your own effort you put to death the deeds of the body. Get it? It's by surrendering to the Spirit over and over again, you kind of starve the flesh to death.